Amen. Well, it's a great introduction. Thanks. Um, and, and I do want to just say good morning to you all, Harvest. Um, it, it's so exciting to be back and visit. Now, if you're newer to the church, you have no earthly idea who I am, but I, I'm, my family is actually old friends with this church. We've, we've visited, I don't even know, 25, long time ago, years ago, when you were in a little house, and then you were in the next building, and then now you're here, and this is great, and the church is growing, and you're doing awesome. And my wife's been here. She couldn't be with me this time, um, but she prays for you, sends her greetings, and uh, very excited to be able to be back with you and to see what, what God's doing here in your midst. And uh, yeah, today we're going we're gonna to look in the book of Philippians, and, and rather than a detailed study of one particular section where we really dive into the words and do a, a deeper dive on a section of Scripture, um, which I love to do and, and, and I'm sure is done regularly here, we're, we're going to do kind of a flyby on the entire book. And, and if you've been a Christian any length of time, you've probably read through the New Testament and certainly the book of Philippians several times, but, but maybe this view will give you some insight into some things that uh, maybe you hadn't noticed that way before. At least that's, that's my desire as I prayerfully considered what, what God would have for us here this morning. We're going to talk about missions, and because I spent 14 years of my life as a foreign missionary in the Eastern European country of Albania, uh, my wife is Albanian, I went there as a bachelor, met and married her there. Um, raised a couple of girls who are now grown and out of the house, and so we're empty nesters, you know. Um, but because of that experience in my life, you know, the Lord has helped me to see and understand some things about this subject. And, and it really is truly my favorite subject to talk about in all the various topics that you can cover in Bible study. I, I could make a good argument that it's God's favorite subject too. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if if you know nothing about the Bible, you know John 3.16, right? I mean, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's missions. God loved a lost and dying world so much that He sent the most precious thing to Him, His very Son, to give His life so that we could have life. And uh, that's really what this is all about. But, but when we view missions, when we talk about the word mission, so we'll get to it. It's actually in the, before we're done today, we'll see the little segment Tony had mentioned earlier about, in a sense, we should all be involved in the mission wherever we're at. We'll certainly see that today. But I want to talk for just a quick second as an introduction. When we view missions as we use the term, we're typically talking about foreign missions. We're talking about somebody, for example, an American citizen who will decide that they're going to, as a career, change their address, move to some foreign country with the express purpose of taking the gospel to these foreign people so that they can be saved. That's, that's kind of the typical career missionary platform that we consider. But what you might not know is when we consider that definition of missions, the relocation of people for the express purpose of somebody else getting saved, that actual definition, that subject is really not dealt with very much at all in the Bible. And, and you might be surprised to hear that. So I put in your notes, you know, a little question, who are the missionaries in the Bible? Who are they? If you go through and survey the entirety 
of the scriptural record, who are the people that would fit the definition of a foreign missionary, somebody God called to leave their homeland, to go to another land with the express purpose that they would share the gospel with them, that those people could be saved. Well, what you'd find is that it's, well, it's not Adam. It's not Enoch. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness, but he didn't go anywhere. Noah, it wasn't Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He, he built a boat, but he stayed there. Uh, not Abraham. Now, Abraham sojourned. Abraham traveled a good bit, but it wasn't for the purpose of going to preach the gospel to foreign peoples. Abraham was just doing what God said. God said, get up and go, and he got up and went. Uh, it wasn't Joseph. Uh, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, ended up in Egypt, and we can make parallels to missions, but Joseph was sold as a slave. Joseph worked his way up in Pharaoh's house. Joseph became a great picture of Christ, the Savior of the world. But Joseph was just working for Pharaoh, making sure they had bread during the time of a famine. That wasn't a missionary job per se. Uh, it wasn't Moses. Moses did a lot of traveling, right? Led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and across the wilderness and into the promised land. Why? To save their neck to establish the Jewish kingdom in their promised land. That's not a typical missionary description. It wasn't Joshua. Joshua brought him into the land. And what a jo Joshua was a military leader. They had military conquest. So, I mean, Joshua killed people. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not typical, right? Um, you're not going to find him in, among the judges. Um, King David, King Solomon, the prophets, almost exclusively all only preached God's message to their own people, the nation of Israel. I mean, we're deep into the Bible and we have no express foreign missionaries. And let me just give you the punchline. There's only one in all the Old Testament and it's Jonah. And if you know anything about the story of Jonah, well, I mean, that wasn't the greatest testimony in the world. God said, go, and he's like, no, go east and preach to the Ninevites. I hate the Ninevites. I'm going west. And so the whole story, you know, got thrown overboard and swallowed by the whale and spit back up on land. And ultimately, God kind of makes him go do it, and he surrenders, and he preaches arguably the lamest sermon in all the Bible, and lo and behold, Hundreds of thousands of people get saved in the Old Testament way of getting saved. They, they repented and turned to the Lord. So the one and only example is a guy who started off pretty carnal, but because it was God's call on his life, God used him. Amazing results. Greatest re recorded revival in human history. Okay, okay, but what about the New Testament? Jesus Christ. Well, okay, obviously, Jesus Christ is everything. But typically, when we consider looking for examples, I mean, you know, I mean, he was gone. And I'm not trying to dismiss that, but I'm just saying that, you know, if you're looking for the typical human example, yes, he left his home in glory. Yes, he came to earth so that we could have life. Of course, that is the greatest example, but it is harder for us to relate to. In the New Testament, really, all you have is the Apostle Paul and those that traveled with the Apostle Paul through the time of the book of Acts. And so with the Apostle Paul being 
called and sent out to go expressly to preach the gospel to the nations. You have the New Testament model. Jesus' disciples weren't that way. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, Jesus Christ told his disciples, go not unto the Gentiles. Go only to the house of Israel, right? Even after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, by the time you work your way to Acts chapter 8, there was great persecution, and the disciples were scattered throughout Samaria, but the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go anywhere. But Paul is the first one. And so what that means for us is this, and this is in your notes, that the model missionary sending church is the church in Antioch, and that's Acts chapter 13. And we don't need to read all of that, and, but Acts chapter 13 tells the story of the church in Antioch, and it was an amazing church. It was an international church. They list five different pastors and teachers, prophets and teachers, among which is a guy by the name of Saul who ultimately becomes the Apostle Paul. And as they're ministering to the Lord and praying and fasting, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And so they're actively serving the Lord. And, and ultimately, what we would like to do as a church, right, what I would like to do with the churches that I've been involved in, what I know you want to do in your church is be a church like Antioch. You want to get to the place where you too can see God call out from your midst people who would surrender and be qualified and sent to be able to go out into the nations like a missionary. But even in Antioch, once Paul and Barnabas go out, do we read about Antioch doubling back and sending anybody else out? We don't read about it. This is kind of an odd introduction for Jeff and the Mission Sunday. Nobody's doing missions and God isn't talking about it except for a couple of key people. Well, this odd absence of traditional missionaries in the Bible might mean something. It might have something to do with what we can learn, and I think it does. You see, I'm not like anybody's expert. I just have a little bit of experience in what I've been able to be a part of, and in my personal experience in just 14 years in one little country, I saw enough expats, Americans or people from other countries, that moved to Albania with the intent of being missionaries to help start a work for Christ, to see people saved and churches started. And, and there was one point early on in the history of, of the missions movement in Albania in this, this last generation where there was over 400 missionary families serving in Albania. And make a long story short, most all of them in a relatively short amount of time got burned out. They, they couldn't I don't know. It wasn't for them. It was harder than they recognized. They weren't ready. They, were they really called or not? I don't know. Were they prepared enough? I don't know. But they quit and they left and they went back home. And, and oftentimes when they quit and left and went back home, they were, they were discouraged and, and disappointed and, and often devastated in their own personal spiritual lives when they made it back home. Whether it was accurate or not, they felt kind of like a failure and 
And, and it makes you wonder, man, was God in that or not? Well, that's their issue to deal with with the Lord, not my issue. But, but man, that's what, what I, I observed was not everybody is cut out for that kind of work. It is a special calling on a life, and you need to know that it's God's calling on your life. Most people, most of you will never sign up for it, and that's fine. It's not, it's not to glorify the few. It's to encourage you that if you never sign up for it, there's still a lot you can do. There's still a lot that you can be a part of in being a missions-minded church and partnering with and moving forward the cause of Jesus Christ. Because if 99% of you really never move, well, I'd say you're right on par with what the Bible reveals. 99% of more than that, I mean, they're never moving. They're just living their life, serving the Lord wherever they're at, right? What am I trying to say this means for you? Don't feel stressed out about having to become a missionary. I don't know if you invited me to say that. But I would say, rather, just focus on the task at hand. Just be busy doing what you know that you can do right here and right now. Still in service to the overall mission of the gospel, right? In whatever way you can. Just take things as they come. First things first, start where you're at. Worry about today. Let tomorrow worry about itself. That's what it says in James chapter 4 and verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Look, we're all called to participate in the gospel, right? Amen? And if a local church is a living organism, not just an organization, and it is, by the way, then as a result, a local church, just like any individual, needs time to grow and to mature, to get to the point where they can handle greater responsibility. So I think that before a church can ever be in a position to be a missions-sending church, it has to first prove that it's a missions-minded church. And that's where everybody should start. And that's what you should want. That's what you should want for yourself, and that's what you should want for your church. The question is, do you really? This is where we're going to start to make it real. Do you really want Harvest Baptist Church to be truly a missions-minded, focused church? Because there's something I've learned about ministry over the years. This is in your notes as well. Concerning ministry... You can have whatever you want. You believe that? Concerning ministry, you can have whatever you want. And oftentimes we hear, if you're pastors, you hear people say that they want certain things in ministry. They want to be involved. They want more of this or that. They want more of the Lord in their life. But the truth of the matter is, oftentimes they've never just stopped long enough to Ask God for it, to sincerely petition the Lord for great things in ministry. Yeah, we know that nothing is impossible with God, but it's also true that you get what you ask for. 
James chapter two, you, uh, chapter four, excuse me, verse number two. Very, very well-known verse of Scripture. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. This is the same thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh shall be opened. There's an interesting story of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry in Mark chapter 10. It starts in verse number 46. The verses might be up, and you can look through them as I'm just going to summarize it for you. But this is Jesus Christ and his disciples, and they're, and they're taking a journey, and they're walking down a road, and they're on their way to the city of Jericho. And on their way to the city of Jericho, along the roadside, there's a blind man, and he hears that Jesus is coming, and he starts to cry out, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? And the disciples are like, keep him quiet, keep him quiet, leave the master alone. What are you doing bothering the master, right? And Jesus is like, no, no, it's okay, bring the guy to me. And they, they get the guy up and they bring him to Jesus. And all eyes are on him. And in verse 51 is the most amazing thing to me. Jesus asked that guy, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Well, come on, Lord, don't you think you know what he wants? He's a blind guy for crying out loud. Isn't it obvious what he wants? But Jesus asked him, tell me specifically what you want. And he says, Lord, that I might see. And he's like, okay. And he healed his blindness. You know, sometimes the Lord just wants you to say out loud what you really want. He wants to hear you say it. I want you to think about that. Look at 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Um, if you ask the Lord for greater involvement in reaching the world with the gospel, you don't have to wonder whether or not that prayer request is according to his will or not. That is clearly according to his will. So if you ask for more influence in the world in evangelism, you can have it, but you have to really want it. And so in that sense, you have to be mindful of it. So I said the model missionary sending church is in Antioch, but the model missionary minded church is the church in Philippi, the Philippian church. And the theme of the Philippian letter is joy. And you probably know that if you've ever even read through it. It talks about joy and rejoicing from the very beginning until the very end. And, and I would argue that the Philippian church, maybe outside of the, his home church in Antioch, is the Apostle Paul's favorite church. He loved this church. I know that I can tell you that every career missionary who has lived his life traveling around the nations as a, as a stranger and a pilgrim and trying to serve the Lord and feeling like 
the Lord and that, you know, the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have... I mean, when you're constantly from place to place to place, you feel like you have no home. When you find a church that will love you the way the Philippian church loved Paul, man, you, that's one of your favorite churches too. That's a fairly common thing. And because the Lord's heart is for the world to be saved... A heart for missions is, well, it's a heart for the Lord. And your heart for the Lord then becomes much like King David before he was anointed king, and it says that he's a man after my own heart. And you can be a church after God's own heart if your heart is for the thing God's heart's after, and God's heart's after the nations, right? That's an important thing. And so there's three keys to the success of the Philippian church. And, and we're going to do a quick review. And you say, praise the Lord, this is the longest intro I've ever heard on a sermon. We're going to do a quick review of these chapters, but with the themes presented, because I see these themes unfolding as we look at this book as a whole to help us get the big picture of what's going on in this church body because this is the kind of church that we can choose to model ourselves after and see God use us in such an amazing way as well. And so the first point that we'll see, and it comes out of chapter one, is this. An informed church has a personal relationship with the missionary. An informed church has a personal relationship with the missionary. They know him personally. The missionary has actually been there to their church. They've actually spent time together with him. But after a period of time that they spent together, the missionary leaves. He goes on his way. He continues his mission. But what happens? They kept in communication with the Apostle Paul, who is the missionary, right? I mean, we know that he wrote them this letter, he wrote updates. He mailed them back. They kept in contact with him. When they got his letter, this is real deep. You ready? You want to write this down? They read them. <laughs> now, that'll make more sense if you get missionary updates and maybe never read them. I mean, we have to, you have to intentionally make a point of keeping in communication. They knew his needs. So I want you to notice some of the characteristics, and we're just going to, again, grab some verses from each of the chapters. We'll look at them as they come, as we come through the beginning here in chapter number one, verse number three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This church shared fellowship with Paul in his gospel ministry from the very first day that they ever met him. It continued on even after he left. Go down to verse number seven. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. This church was a participant of the grace that was given to Paul. They became true partners together with Paul, and they had this fellowship, this unity 
even though that they were physically distanced, <coughs> excuse me, distanced from one another. Go down two more verses to verse number nine. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. How? In knowledge and in all judgment. Yeah, thanks. I'm okay. I just got a little something stuck in there. He wants their love to abound, but how's the love going to abound? Well, they got to know more. They got to know what's going on in knowledge and in all judgment. And so if you don't know what's going on, you can't, by the way, you can't make proper judgment. You have to be informed. If you don't know what's going on, you can't really be connected emotionally to what's happening. So Paul, sending a ministry update back to the church, wanted them to understand what had been happening in, their, in his ministry. And he gives some specific details. And some of the details that he gives include his personal struggles. This is what's called one of the prison epistles. Paul's writing this letter while he's in jail, right? And so, but he doesn't just write Woe is me, life is hard, serving the Lord, man, that's a burden to bear. I got it rough. No, he writes about what God is doing using the circumstances for his glory. Continue reading on. Look in verse number 12 of chapter 1. But I would ye should understand, brethren, so he's writing this letter. These guys are partners. He wants them to be informed that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Like they didn't like him. They thought he was a troublemaker. And they're like, ah, we'll mock him by preaching the gospel while he's in jail for preaching the gospel. At, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, verse 17. But the other, there's another contingent of people that preach it of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So Paul says, look, yes, yeah, sometimes it's hard, but Christ is being preached and God is being glorified, and this is worth it, y'all. Be encouraged, church, right? That's what he's basically saying. So what do you suppose an informed church is going to do when they get this kind of an update? Well, read the very next verse, verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. They prayed for Paul's requests in real time, as real as it could have been with however quickly they got the letter. They prayed for Paul's requests my salvation doesn't mean that he wasn't, Paul was an unsaved missionary. It means he was in jail and he needed to be set free, his release. Oh, by the way, he was released. Like their prayers actually worked, right? So as a response to the updates, right, these guys are praying for him. 
Now, I've, you know, time won't allow me to tell you stories of churches that have prayed for me and my ministry. They're, I mean, they just go on and on, but there's one little quick one I wanna just mention. There's one particular church I didn't have a real close personal relationship with, but they were good brothers and sisters, and they were in a little town called Lebanon, Ohio, Fellowship Baptist Church. And if you've ever heard of an organization called the Fellowship Track League, they print a bunch of tracks. They send them all over the world. And Fellowship Baptist Church supported me, and I never talked to them hardly. One day after a long time, I called in, and I wanted to talk to the pastor. I was in the country, and I was going to come through. Long story short, just some random church member. It wasn't like a staff person. Just whatever church member happened to be working, the, the church phone, if there was nobody in the office, it would ring at the warehouse out back where they kept the printing presses, where they printed all the tracks. And so the phone rings over there, and, and this gal picks up the phone, hello, blah, blah, blah. And I just said, you know, I'm looking for pastor so-and-so. And she said, well, he's not here. How can I help you? And I told her my name and who I was, and I just wanted to get in touch with him. And she said, oh, you're the missionary in Albania. And I was like, yeah. She said, oh, yeah, we pray for you every day. And she started listing all the requests of all the letters that I'd ever sent. She said, how about this guy? Did that guy ever get saved? What about this problem? She knew that. So that church let everybody know what was going on in the ministries of the missionaries that they were in. That was an informed church. They... Man, that blew me away. I was so impressed. Well, what do you suppose the response of such a church would be? After having this kind of a personal relationship with the missionary who is sacrificing and serving like Paul ended up in jail. Well, in chapter 1 and verse 25, it says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming unto you again. They, they rejoiced. In other words, this, this church had an emotional connection to the missionary, and that can only happen when they're informed. They had an actual personal relationship. So let me just encourage you, and I don't know where you're at, and I'm not, I don't mean to be critical. If it sounds critical, forgive me. But do you keep informed of the ministries of the missionaries that your church is currently associated with? And, and if so, how? Do they, I'm sure they send some updates, monthly, quarterly, however frequently. They probably write letters, emails. This, this day and time, they might have websites, Facebook pages, whatever, all that sort of thing. Do you, you probably get regular reports. When you get them, do you read them? Or does just your pastor read them? Is everybody made aware of the updates of what's going on in the lives and the ministry so the church as a whole can continue to be aware and be connected? You see, there's ways that we can actually be a missions-minded church, but you have to be informed to foster a continuing relationship. And so if you really want to be a missions-minded church, you start by learning more about the specific details of the things that they're involved in, and including their challenges, and, and, and be a partner in the gospel ministry through that. Okay, let's go to our second point. Our second point is an involved church has a personal responsibility to the mission. And this is the middle of the book, and, and certainly there's a lot to be said. It shouldn't 
be anything new to you. Listen, it's obvious that as you're learning more about what God's doing in the life of the missionaries you hear on the other side of the world somewhere, hopefully that encouragement should stir in you something that makes you think, hey, wait a minute, what am I doing? That guy's doing that. What am I doing right here, right? And that's exactly what happened with the Philippians. Before we get into chapter 2, look how chapter 1 wraps up. Chapter 1, starting in verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe, this is not just my personal faith, leave me alone, I don't want to bother anybody, nobody bother me. Not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake, get involved. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul is saying to the church, you're aware of what I'm doing, thank you for praying for me, but y'all where you living, you get up and go for it. Because the gospel ministry is not just for a select few people that are chosen, you know, and called to be missionaries. There is a practical application for each and every one of us wherever we live. And don't let anybody stop you. Prison didn't stop him. Don't let anything stop you. Now, it's ridiculous to think that a man would be an effective missionary in a foreign country if that man didn't first actively evangelize and disciple people right here where he lives in the language and culture that he understands. Well, it's equally absurd to think that a church really cares about souls halfway around the world whom they've never seen if they don't demonstrate that they can care about souls that live around the corner. It's it's kind of like John said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? The principle still applies. You want to be a missions-minded church? Well, be mindful of the mission right here. That's how it's going to happen. How could it be otherwise? How could you be mindful truly mindful of God's mission to a world far away like it's, like it's some exciting TV show on the Discovery Channel or something, and not care about your neighbors. It's ludicrous to consider that sort of thing. And so it's not surprising that the book of Philippians then has something to say about your personal involvement, and the book as a whole kind of becomes this primer for becoming a missions-minded church. So chapters 2 and 3 are rich, and I'm just going to do, again, a quick review of some key principles. But chapter 2 starts out in verse number 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. In other words, Paul's saying, if you feel any connection to what I'm doing, verse 2, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. In other words, you get up and start doing it likewise. 
Then it goes on in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 and gives Jesus' example of ultimate sacrifice and coming to this earth and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. But then he's going to circle back to a practical application for the Philippian church in verse 12, for example, where it says, Wherefore, as a result, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not enough just to hear about Jesus, and it's not enough just to hear about the missionary. Do it yourself. Live out your own mission. Next verse, 13, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God's going to be working in your life so that you have the will. He's going to be working on your want to, and then he's going to be working on your getting up and actually doing it. So you can say, well, I'm all for it. Well, God, that's good. God's working on you to be for it. You should also do it, <laughs> you know. So this is what Paul's saying, right? So continuing on, verse 14, he says then, do all things, oh, I hate this next part, without murmurings and disputings. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Shining as lights to the world, your portion of it, right here. Do all these things right where you're at without murmuring and complaining, and get involved being a light to the community where God has you. So we see that we're shifting from just being informed, and now we need to be involved. Let's go to chapter 3. Now, chapter 3 starts out, and Paul spends some time giving his personal testimony and his Jewish pedigree of the tribe of Benjamin, of the stock of Israel, and circumcised the eighth day, and a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and touching the law blameless, and all these things in the beginning of chapter 3. And ultimately, he says, all of that, all of that I count but dung. It's useless. Compared to what my mission is, all of who I thought I was and how my talent and training, that doesn't matter. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus is all that matters. And so after all of that, we'll jump in at verse 15. It says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this, even this unto you. Focus on the end goal. Be like-minded. Focus on the thing that says, I'm, I'm shooting for the prize. I'm keeping my eye on the target. Verse 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Well, what is the same rule? What is the same thing? Well, I intentionally skipped some of the previous verses because I want to double back now. What he's saying when he's saying to them, let us have the same mind, Let's, let us do the same thing, I think clearly in the context takes you back to verse number 10 of chapter 3 and coming forward. So let me start in chapter 3 and verse number 10. He says this, all the stuff that was good in my life, supposedly physically speaking, he says that doesn't mean anything compared to this. And he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, 
Either we're already perfect, but I follow after it. Look, I've got problems. I've got struggles. I'm, I'm trying to work through it too, but I've got a goal in mind. I've got a target out there, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Y'all, that little phrase is rich. Paul says, I am striving to apprehend the thing which is the purpose for which why God apprehended me when I got saved. God apprehended me with a purpose that I would go after the gospel. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm still working on it. I'm a work in progress. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, amen, and reaching forward unto those things which are before. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Y'all, that is what God expects of each and every one of us. Let's mind that same rule. Let's strive to know God more, fellowship with Him more. Now, that includes some suffering, the fellowship of His suffering for doing right. And we haven't arrived yet, but we can continue to strive for that prize, right? I mean, doesn't the Bible say, follow Paul, follow him as he follows Christ? And if we jump ahead a little bit into chapter 4, it, it says this in verse number 9, Philippians 4, 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do those things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but I want the God of peace to be with me. I got plenty of turmoil in my life. I got plenty of strife in my life. I got plenty of heartache in my life. I got plenty of anxiety that comes and goes in my life, just like you do. And if you're honest, you want God's peace to reign in your world more than it did yesterday. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, the stuff you see in Paul, go do that. That's what he says. If you really want that, if you want God's peace experientially in your life, I do. Okay, the last point, and this is chapter number four. An invested church will personally resource the mission. So they're informed and they're involved, now they need to be invested. The invested church, an invested church will personally resource the mission. So obviously God is interested in all people everywhere to be saved, and everywhere includes right here, wherever you live, right? But it also includes unto the uttermost, right? That's Acts 1.8, we know that. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Notice the phrasing both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we've got not either or, but both and. You see that? It's not be a witness unto me either in Jerusalem or in Judea or unto the uttermost. I mean, wherever you're at, you can only be where you're at. Um, interestingly, the Holy Spirit said it different. The Holy Spirit said, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you'll receive power to be a witness unto me in four different spots at the same time. Well, how is that possible? Well, it's actually not that hard. There's a couple of different ways. One of the easy ones is financial support. 
That's one of the ways. Financial support of missions and missionaries causes you to be real partners in the work together that they are doing. By them going and you helping, you together are working for your witness here in your Jerusalem and in the places where they're working at the same time. How can you be in two places at once? Well, you can't, but the extension of your ministry can concurrently. It really can. I mean, we sometimes, you know, tighten up a little when we talk about giving and financial support and all this kind of stuff. And probably before you know it, Tony will come up here and ask you to give more, and you'll be like, ugh. Y'all, seriously, you're viewing the thing wrong. Like nobody's, I don't think, I don't think anybody's coming and like, you know, grabbing your wallet out of your pocket, like whatever. You have an opportunity to fulfill the Word of God, and you need to see it that way. So I live, I I have an expression that I use a lot. I, I try and make it real in my life, and it's been important to me. I put it in your notes. The expression is this, live within your means and invest in things that matter. I think that's a, good, that's a good motto, especially for us wealthy Westerners. Live within your means. Now, so some of you have more means, obviously. Some of you have less means. I get it. Whatever your means are, as, as one who has traveled the globe, okay, let me just tell you, you're wealthy. I don't care how you may be still working your way and just getting your foothold in a job. I get it. I get it. We live in America, y'all. We typically, there's exceptions, I know, typically live in excess. Much of the world lives in necessity. Food, shelter, clothing. That's it. And they can barely do that. No, we live wealthy lives, right? And if we really want to, and this is the theme today, do you really want it or not, we could live on less, and we could give more. We could. It's just true. Look how the Philippian church responded to this challenge in Philippians chapter 4. Verse number 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now, the church's care for Paul was without question financial support. They sent to help support his needs, his life, so that he could continue the ministry Um, The circumstances of getting funds to Paul maybe wasn't always available. When it was available, they made it available, okay? It says in verse 14, continuing in chapter number four, just to prove this point, I'm not just making this up. Notwithstanding, ye have done well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. What do you mean by communicate? Verse 15. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, Philippi is a city in the region of Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So when Paul says, man, you communicated with me in my affliction and my necessity, literally defined in the scripture, he's saying you gave so that I I could survive, so that I could make it. 
so that I could get by. And, and there was times when Paul had no outside income coming in, and there was times he had to stop and make tents. He was a tent maker, and he would make a little money making tents, and he would get back to the mission. And there was times when churches would support him. Now, Philippi was not his sending church. Antioch was his sending church. Philippi was the church Paul started. <laughs> That's interesting, right? But they were a blessing, and they loved him, and they supported him, and they became one of Paul's favorite churches because they were such, they, they loved him so much, right? But listen, Paul is not about, you know, it's not like he's worried about whether he's got it good or whether he's got needs. He's worried about the health and life of this church that loved the Lord and his mission so much. I know that because we continue reading in chapter 4, verse 18. Speaking of himself, he says, but I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Their gifts given to Paul were sacrificial because the Philippian church, y'all, was poor. These were poor people. How do you know that? 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians referring to what happened back in Macedonia. Now, Corinth is in the southern part of Greece, which would be the region in the Bible called Achaia. Macedonia is the northern part of Greece where Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi are all up in that region. And he says in 2 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, he says this in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, like Philippi. How then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. This church in Philippi barely had enough to take care of themselves, and they offered to give it to Paul. And you can just read here, Paul is saying, stop, don't give it. You need it more than I do. And they said, no, you don't understand. And they insisted that he take it because they said, we need to partner in the gospel ministry. We need to have the fellowship of the gospel. We need to fulfill Acts 1.8.2. Please, with much entreaty, take the gift. Paul said, okay, can't argue with that, right? It's almost like they really believed what Jesus said back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, he said, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. When he refers to the Gentiles, he's talking about unbelieving pagans. Lost world worries about that. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all this physical stuff, well, that'll be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Quit worrying. Live in faith. 
Trust the Lord. Do what you know to do. I'm not telling you how much money to give away, and I'm not trying to guilt trip you into not having clothes or something. Like, I'm not, nothing. I'm just saying there's a principle here that you can't outgive God. There's a principle here that He will use your sacrifice if you give it in the right attitude, right? Once you give with that level of sacrifice for the love of the Lord and His mission, God has a promise for you. Continue on, Philippians 4.19. One of the promises of the Bible we all love to claim, but it doesn't apply to everybody. It applies to somebody in the context of the Philippian church who sacrificially gives away what they need just so the mission can continue. Paul retorts with verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so we say things like, you can't outgive God, I dare you, just go ahead and try. The point is, if you consume yourself, you interest yourself with the only real problem God has, there's a world lost and dying and on their way to hell. You interest yourself with that. You take care of God's problem. God will take care of your problems. He'll take care of your problems. But if you're not giving to that kind of sacrificial level where I don't even have enough, I don't even know how I'm going to take care of this issue in my life, well, then God's like, I got you. My God shall supply all your need is the word, by the way. Need, not want, luxury. He'll supply your need. That's what he promises, right? And by the way, you can do that. You can, you can consider, right, that maybe, just maybe, we really are in the last minutes of the last days of the church age before the rapture. Maybe, just maybe, I don't need that big savings account anymore to the level that it currently is. Maybe, just maybe, I'm young and the odds of me ever cashing in my 401k are pretty low anyway. I mean, I know these are radical thoughts, but maybe... And y'all, the Bible, man, it's just so rich. It's this infinite resource of wisdom. And, and we can look at a book like Philippians that has so many wonderful applications in life. And just with the lens of missions and being a mission-minded church that loved the mission and the missionary and the Lord, obviously, of those things, man, they were willing to do whatever they had to do. And, and it's really true that God will continue to reveal more to you as you need it. Like he told, Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. God has more for you, and when you're ready for it, he'll give it to you. And when you're ready, he'll give you more. But I believe that Harvest Baptist Church is ready, but you have to stay informed, and you have to stay involved, and you have to keep investing and if you'll do those things, well then, you'll do them by the grace of God. And that's how Philippians ends, Philippians 4.23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that's my prayer for you. My prayer is that God will give you the grace necessary so that you can respond in a way that would be pleasing to Him, that you would truly be missions-minded individuals, but collectively as a church. And He'll you continue to grow and stretch and use this church in levels and ways 
that you've never understood before. Let me pray for you, and I'm done. Lord Jesus, thank you, as always, that we can just trust you with our lives and the resources that you've entrusted to us. And I pray for these good people, and I pray, God, that you'd use them. I pray that you'd break them as necessary, that you'd inspire them, give them vision of what can be done. And I pray that through them, that many, many wonderful things, people will continue to be saved, like this sweet sister here today, and and this church continue to grow, but then even the influence around the world. God, be honored and blessed and glorified through this body, I pray in Jesus' name.